Many of us have dreamed of working on planes or flying one. For many, the road is, to such is at best foggy. However, there are many programs out there that can help you realize your dream. If you have the dedication, you can achieve anything. In this episode, we'll share with you some ways to make your dream that much closer to you. This is From Street to Seat. Everybody, we have a, a special guest today. He is a former uh, Army Scout. He is a commercial jetline pilot. And he's also a co-founder for Rotary Airline Group, a nonprofit organization that helps veterans become airline pilots and aircraft mechanics. Please welcome Tim Kirschbaum. Welcome, Tim. How's it going, y'all? Doing hey, well. Tim. Doing well. Doing well. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy day to, uh, to help uh, come talk with us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here. This is my first podcast, so uh, you know I'll, I'll try to roll with the changes as we go. Not a, not a problem at all. It is a pretty <laughs> informal podcast. We just like to get together and talk with interesting people and complain and bounce ideas and, you know, all, all the normal stuff. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good time. Tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'm an Army brat. Grew up uh, around the military. And when I got done with uh, high school and my uh, one year of college, I decided to go and join the Army. Um, joined the Ar- uh, Alabama National Guard first off. I was a Ford Observer. Uh, for a little less than a year, decided it wasn't for me, went active duty. Uh, I was a Cobra crew chief out in uh, Hawaii, last uh, AH-1F um, unit uh, for the active duty army. Put in my flight pack and became a warrant officer. Uh, flew H-58 Deltas for about 15 years. Uh, I did everything from maintenance test pilot, uh, maintenance examiner. I was a test pilot instructor, flight instructor, all that fun stuff. I uh, did about five combat tours. Uh, three in Iraq, two in Afghanistan, and the uh, 58D. They retired my uh, 58D out from underneath me. I became a uh, 64 Delta Longbow uh, test pilot and did that for my last three and a half years in the Army. Uh, retired after 24 years and uh, transitioned into the airlines. Started flying uh, CRJ 200, 700s, and 900s um, for, uh, P- uh, for American Airlines subsidiary PSA, PSA Airlines. Um, just left them not too long ago. I'm now... Uh, in training right now to fly a Boeing 757, 767s for our Air Transport International. Wow, very uh, nice. Pretty much my background. Quite, quite the rap sheet you got there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel so underqualified now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. So, so I, I, you know, I'm I'm not a I'm not a helo guy from my background, but. Um, what, what was that like flying, flying combat missions? I mean, if you, if you want to or are willing or are able to talk about those, and can, can you just kind of go over what deployments were like in those and different oh, situations? Yeah, it's, uh, it's like nothing you've ever done before. Um, flying the 50 AD in combat was probably the most fun I ever had. Uh, you flying low-level reconnaissance, doing uh, convoy security, hasty attacks, stuff like that. Uh, just working for the ground. Um, you know, the living conditions in the beginning, uh, I was on the Iraq invasion in 2003 uh, with the 82nd Airborne. It, you know, we're living out in the dirt and living under uh, living under tents, doing all that fun stuff. Uh, lived outside of Fallujah for a little while, operated around Fallujah, Ramadi. Um, tour three, we were up north in Iraq, uh, around Mosul, Talafar, Spiker. Uh, just reconnaissance, finding bad guys, keeping the ground guys safe and uh, trying to make sure everybody got home uh, uh so they can get back to their families at the end of the deployment. Um, my fourth deployment, we were in Afghanistan down in Kandahar. I was the, uh, the production control officer, which is pretty much the maintenance supervisor for the entire task force. Had about 80 aircraft. 
uh, under my uh, maintenance control. Yeah, uh, everything from Blackhawks, uh, 64 Deltas, uh, 58 Deltas, and a couple Chinooks. Um, just, just sequencing the maintenance in for all those guys. Uh, I was also in charge of the down aircraft recovery team for the 58 deltas. Uh, basically if an aircraft went down for any reason, maintenance, um, hostile fire, uh, whatever, I was the guy that they called up and got my team loaded up on uh, two Blackhawks and we went and recovered it. Nice. Um, and you, you said, Tim, uh, you were a Kuchi for H one F. Yeah, H1F. So I'm I'm old. I just turned 45 last month. Oh, man, I can tell you that that's that that's my legacy aircraft right there because I was a H1 whiskey uh, crew chief and then also with the UH1 uh, Novembers. So the oh, very nice double helo legacy there. And then now oh, yeah. I think nowadays they're on the H1 Zulu, the four bladed ones, which I had right. a, a few exposures with it. But for the most part, it's you can tell it's a lot larger than what its predecessor used to be. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. H1F, you know, same cockpit design, three about three feet wide. Uh, now you guys kept the old uh, what we called the the prod and the ECAS windows where they were nice and bulged out. You can see a lot more than our seven pane windows, but uh, yeah, I love <laughs> that aircraft. Actually, a little uh, uh, little historical note: my aircraft um, was a seventy one twenty one zero three five, and we retired it. In uh, 1999, we flew all the uh, the Cobras back down to uh, Hickam Air Force Base, Hawaii. They loaded them up on a C-5 and then uh, headed out to uh, Fort Drum, where they all went to the Boneyard, or they got uh, parted out or sold to foreign, uh, foreign nations and everything. Just so happens that my aircraft was the last H-1F in the Boneyard when a, a VFW down there in uh, Scottsboro, uh, Alabama, requested a static display bird. So this past uh, Veterans Day, or just past Veterans Day, my Cobra is actually on display down in Scottsboro, Alabama, uh, on a stick. So nice. really cool. I got to go to the dedication of it. My name is still on it from my enlisted days. It's uh, nice. pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Actually, you can still go see the bird you spent so much time in, you know, sit there and oh, yeah. tell stories for days. <laughs> you should go up there and Seems sign it. Did you, did you sign it? <laughs> uh, I, uh, I didn't sign it, but we, we were able to get in there and, uh, uh, pop the identity plate off of it, and uh, another no, not the identity plate, but the call, the radio call ID. Uh, there were a few parts on there that um, were still on it that uh, didn't quite make it to the stack display yard, but uh, you know. <laughs> nice, that is nice. That's uh, all cool. the all the planes that I've seen. I remember when they decided to put the the whiskeys on in the boneyard, and we're seeing the last couple of them get either loaded up or flown out. I'm like, well, there it goes. The last we we'll ever see of those. <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows? Six, you might you might run into one of yours sitting on a stick one day. All oh, right, <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know. That, that's when that's when I know. Like I put a uh, pudding glass and break in case of war, kind of kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know too much about the helos, but I can relate to a couple of the uh, locations you said you were in. You said Spiker. That was my uh, first deployment to Iraq, but that would have been two thousand. Beginning of 2009, I think spring of 2009. Okay. And then I did uh, almost, I did like uh, about 11 months in Kandahar, my first time to Afghan. Okay, when, when was that? That would have been, oh, that would have been two, 2010, I believe. Oh, I was, I was there about that same time. Hey, yeah, I, uh, I was in uh, Kandahar 2009, 2010, I think uh, July to July, if I remember right. Yeah, we would have we would have been on base at the same time then. So yeah, I, tell you, I tell you, every 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 night at five p.m. you could you could almost count 
You can almost guarantee it rocket sirens. Remember those old rocket sirens that go off? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember. And then it would hit, it would hit the old ship pond. Oh, my God. Oh, oh yeah. The poop pond. Well, yeah, at least you guys got IDF sirens. Like, I remember uh, where I was in Iraq. It was a fob. And then there was also the main base in Al-Assad. They'll get IDF like it's cool. And <laughs> the, the sirens, it's kind of like hit or miss. Like, I think it's going to work or, or it'll work, but it'll come out, come in like hours later. Like, thanks. Thanks for the warning. And we kind of knew that already. And then the worst case of it all was EOD would do controlled explosions that they won't tell anybody or they won't radio it in. So you're hearing yeah. the explosions like, is that an IDF? I guess not. Cause the sirens are not on. And then you hear the siren like, Oh my God, is that it? And then you hear EOD. Don't, don't worry about it. Controlled that. And thanks. Yeah. Gee, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks for the mini heart attack. Soul. Oh yeah, is pretty rough too on that. Now, what ramp were you on in Kandahar? Kandahar, we were over a Mustang ramp. We built Mustang ramp in 2009. Uh, My my unit uh, task force uh, uh, horsemen. We were the first. I don't know. By then, we weren't horsemen anymore. We were saber. Um, We were the first to uh, uh, occupy Mustang ramp up there on the north side. Okay, I was down on. uh, I believe it was Juliet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I remember when you guys were there. The yeah. Yeah. We used to do that. And we'd use the hanger at, uh, on whiskey if we had any heavy maintenance to do. Yeah. Yep. That's, I, mean, I always remember, I always remember the, uh, you'd hear tower calling out you'd hear the, the A and a call out to take off from one of their old, their old MI 17s or whatever. And you hear tower, <laughs> yeah. you hear tower call back negative, heavy inbound. And you know, okay. And they just pull the collective man. And then poof, there they go. You see that, you see that, uh, C-17 just peeling off to the side like, God damn it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember when uh, the, the, over there at the A&A ramp, the MI-17, they, uh, they taxied out and ran a blade into one of their clamshells out there. That was a, that was a great oh, day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I heard about that. I never got to see it, but, yeah. but I heard about that. That yeah. A&A ramp was, was full of excitement. While we were having Mustang ramp built, we were living over there at the A&A, or we were working at the A&A hangar. Uh, when uh, was the Brits? I think it was the Brits. They had a Harrier yeah. coming in, and yeah. it wound up uh, having a punch out right on a uh, short final of the taxiway. Uh, wow. That was uh, yeah, that was that was crazy. He punched out probably about two hundred feet AGL. Uh, he rode it in as long as he could, but uh, yeah, it was it, that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then uh, were you there when that seventeen was taxiing down? Uh, it was just after sunset, and a rocket came in and hit about three feet behind. The pilot seat punched a big hole. So all the avionics uh, sits right behind the uh, cockpit, and it just—I mean—it fried the electronics in that entire plane. That plane sat down with it. It was down by whiskey somewhere. It sat down there for—I I think it was still there even when I left. Like they had sent the team out probably six months later to start working on it, but it was still sitting there getting fixed. Uh, fixed no, I missed that one. Thank God it was a dud, it. though. It was just a dud. It didn't it didn't kill anybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, shoot, they you set those things up with uh, washing machine timers up there on that dry riverbed and just walk off, and you never knew what you were going to get when those things were right. coming in. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They would do the dry ice over there, and then uh, were you there when the when the A and A or no when the A tens when they had moved in the Harriers had moved out the A tens had moved in. And then whoever was commander for the A-10s, he had had enough of those rockets, and he uh, he decided he, he sent up, like, four birds, and they just strafed that. It was an abandoned village where they were sending them off, but they just strafed it for, like, six hours straight. <laughs> no, I'm, I wasn't there for that one. <laughs> just use it for target. That was, that was a cool day, too, just, just constant uh, 
constant A10 barrage in that those mud huts, man, just blowing it to smithereens. And surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, the rocket attacks pretty much were non-existent after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, let's see. I was, thirty millimeters will do it, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> thirty <laughs> mic mics just mop all day. Yeah, I was back there in twelve and thirteen. I don't, I don't remember too many rocket attacks in twelve and thirteen. Um, and I was back there a little bit in sixteen. Well, the boardwalk was pretty much non-existent, probably in. Would you say oh, it was twelve and thirteen? Yeah, twelve and thirteen. Was, there was nothing there. When I went there, I mean, it was still in its prime. But then, towards the end of my my deployment, it started uh, it started tapering back a little bit. You know, a lot of the oh, shops or whatever closed up, falling to the oh, wayside. Yeah. <laughs> so, so oh, Tim, yeah. you meant Tim, you mentioned you were you used to be a cap scout, and then you uh, changed over to uh, be a crew chief for Cobras. Um, no, I was I, a Ford I, observer. Thirteen Ford observer. Ford observer. Sorry. Um, so I've I've seen some uh, individuals that will reclass. I think it's, for you guys it's reclass uh, or retreads, where they'll go from one MOS or job and transition to another. And you could just tell like the that it's just such a culture change for them to go from uh, this way of operating to the way the the aviation side operates. Uh, what was that uh, transition like for you from being a Ford observer to being oh. a maintainer? No, oh, it was doubly crazy because I went from guard to active as well. So, oh, I mean, man. Alabama guard uh, uh, was was something else all, all to its own. And then going from that uh, that hua mentality on the ground and you're the, the rock hard fister out front calling in artillery to, ah, this is your aircraft. We're coming in for PT at 6.30, be back at 9 and go go turn wrenches all day. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was actually kind of a dream come true. I, I, I just, I've always been kind of a kind of a grease monkey so it was uh it was real cool just to you know this is your helicopter you can go work on it sometimes you got to fly in it so it was uh it was neat now i, I joined the army wanting to go to flight school anyways i was uh i went, tried to go to college i was on a uh, army rtc scholarship and uh i uh, went to my first year of college uh, down at university of south alabama and uh well i joined a fraternity i didn't have a scholarship anymore <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> a little too much fun but um it worked out better because the warrant officer program in the army would have been uh, was so much better than uh, you know going commission in ROTC and and becoming uh, one of those uh, RLOs uh, trying to fly. Then you know you wind up not flying a whole lot. So in yeah. the grand scheme of things, it, it worked out much much better. So I so I noticed one of the bigger um, culture shocks for uh, ground site to air, air aviation site is uh, in the avi- in the ground side you 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 see an officer or someone of high authority like once in a while and it's usually when you're in trouble for something but then you go over to the aviation side and you see them all the time and you're interacting with them sometimes you kind of you bullshit a little bit more than you should <laughs> and, yeah. and then it just seems like uh, all the reclass or the re- retreads come through and they're like what are you doing like they're just having a full mental meltdown because they're not used to interacting that way with officers or pilots Oh yeah, you you see a lot of those guys, uh, NCOs that were former infantry, and they come over to the aviation side, and they're just, you know, they 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 try to hem up those young privates and specialists that have been in aviation the entire time. Like, whoa, hang on, I I, I don't know what's going on right now. It's a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, you uh, you know, crew chiefs and crew chiefs and uh, pilots, they have a, they have a really tight bond. So you know, you, you work hard to play hard. I mean. Uh, I, you know, used to hang out with crew chiefs on occasion um, after hours, grab a beer. You know, you, crew chiefs do good stuff. You, you, you know, the best way to uh, reward a crew chief is to give him a beer. So, you know, you have a beer and give him some time off. And, uh, you know, it's it just a totally different dynamic. Right. Most definitely. And then you mentioned you went through the warrant officer program uh, to be a pilot. Now, um, as far as I know, 
that the warrant officer, the pilot program is probably the only, the only uh, pilot program out there for the service where you can basically be a high school kid and go straight into the pilot seat. Is that, is that true is story? That- yeah. True story. It's the only one that I know of. In fact, uh, my last unit, I had a, uh, there was a, uh, a female W4 who went straight from high school to uh, flight school. And that's what we call it. Street to seat or high school flight school in the army. Um, she was a, God, how old was she? She was a 32 year old W4. Um, she was, uh, yeah, she was going through, uh, friggin', um, Apache, uh, um, the Apache transition aircraft qualification course at friggin' 18 years old. (laughs) She was, she was something else. She, uh, yeah, she's down at Rucker right now. She married another W4 who's a former Marine. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, they they're they're both down at Fort Rucker right now teaching. Just a couple of great people. Um, I, I was with them in my last unit when I, I was flying sixty four deltas out of uh, Fort Riley. So to put this to scale for a lot of you guys, um, and most other services, say the Marine Corps, for instance, just to be a warrant officer, like basic warrant officer one, you would have to at least been in the service for a minimum six to seven years and then usually say you joined at 17 18 that probably puts you close to like 26 27 just to apply by the time you go through all the schooling and all the required training you hit your first unit you're probably looking anywhere between 30 31 at best and that's you as a basic w warrant officer one and then he's talking about this one woman who's a w4 at At 32 years old yeah just mind blown Mind implosion. <laughs> talk, talk, talk about a fast track career, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She's, uh, uh, she, she should be up for W five here pretty soon. She'll get wow. it. She's, uh, she's just, uh, she's an amazing uh, pilot, amazing instructor, just fantastic. But um, yeah. Now, any other warrant officer uh, career field other than pilot, you do have to have your uh, minimum six years. You got to have, um, well, I, don't, I can't remember what they call it now, but ba- uh, BNOC. Uh, basic NCO course, uh, you have to be an E6 or greater uh, just to apply for the uh, other warrant officer specialty branches. Yeah, that's, that's holy a cow. Yeah, imagine that. So and then, yeah, and then I, so for and, and then just to kind of give it a little bit side, there's a special warrant officer program in the Marines, especially. It's called the gun, the Marine Gunner. I, I, MVP, I think I talked to you about this. Is like, yeah, the daddy of weapons. You know, yeah. this guy, this he's got, kind of, that, he's got the bomb right on yeah. the on the on the patch or whatever. Yeah. So just to apply for that program, you need to have been in service for sixteen years. Whew. Just to apply, sixteen years as an and E seven. So you're in for quite a while, and then to apply for that program, and then plus going through all the ringers and all that stuff. So you're you're looking at a solid. You're probably not going to find anyone no younger than 35, I would say. 30, 32 at the absolute youngest. And, yeah. that's a gr- and that's a grizzled old 35, you know what yeah. I mean? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, can you imagine the, the grit and grunt that guy has, you know? <laughs> but then he oh, knows yeah. his ins and outs about what weapons do, what they're for, how to best employ them, stuff like that. So I'm just like, just all the... All the cool stuff about guns plus the math. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, that, that's why in the other in the Marines, nobody ever questions chief. In the Army, different story. Ah, you're just a W two. What do you know? <laughs> yeah. oh, the the moniker the moniker always here is like, where where's the chief? And they're always gone. Like they're never around. <laughs> well, that's the same in the Army too. <laughs> oh, is it? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You always you know the the, the going joke for a warrant officer in the Army is you got to have uh, two hats. You know, so you just leave a hat on your desk. Ah, chief's around here somewhere. 
<laughs> I need to do that for my work. Like his hat's here. He's still he, he he must still be at work. His hat's here. That's funny. That's why I've done that. Be- I've done that before too. Like somebody used to come and find you. Well, I knew you were here because I saw your I saw your keys laying on the desk. Like that was the thing for me. Like your keys were still on your desk. I knew you couldn't have left. <laughs> but what do you? How do you know it's? Not, how do you know it's my car? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fun times. Decoy. Yeah, put some decoy keys out there. Uh, so, so, Tim, uh, with the warrant for the warrant officer pilot program, like, what's some of the steps that uh, a soldier or any service member or even a high school student needs to do in order to go into that program and then come out as a pilot? Uh, first thing you got to do, uh, you got to make sure you can pass the uh, the SIFT, uh, which replaces the AFAS selective. Uh, uh man i can't remember what sif stands for that that was new when i was getting out but it's basically a the, the, it measures to see if you've got the aptitude to become an aviator there's all kinds of complex motions math uh coding stuff like that just just to make sure that you may have the uh, uh mental acuity to uh to become a pilot so you got to pass the sif test and you got to make sure you can pass a uh, army uh class 1a flight physical um if you can't do either if you can't do one of those uh then you don't even need to apply. Um, and so you just go to your local, uh, um, local, uh, education center on post and you can take the SIF uh, there. Uh, you'll have to schedule a class one, a flight physical with a, with an army doc. Cause they've got the, the books that, that tell, uh, what you can and can't do as far as a class one, a, after you've uh, gotten all those, uh, together, then, you got to go find yourself some recommendations. You got to have your company commander recommendation, your battalion commander. Then you got to find a, a senior uh, aviation warrant officer that uh, is willing to write your recommendation. Then you do the paperwork drill, put your whole packet together and send it in. And maybe you get picked up. Maybe you don't right now. I know uh, the army is hurting for pilots. Um, they've got a 10 year uh, active duty service commitment right now. And that's on completion of uh, training. So after you get your wings, which takes about a year, year. uh, from a year to a year and a half, depending on uh, how fast you're able to get through school, uh, then your 10-year commitment starts. I just started last year. Um, but you get all your packet together, you get fully qualified select, you go to uh, Fort Rucker. Uh, if you're coming in off the street, if you're a high school kid, you'll go to basic training first, and then you'll go straight to uh, Fort Rucker for one Ops Candidate School. Uh, it's six weeks at one Ops Candidate School where you, you go and learn how to be a quote unquote officer and a gentleman where you get smoked a lot. Um, I went from, uh, I think back in, uh, let's see, I went through one office candidate school in 1999. So I, uh, I, I went in running like a 14 and a half, two minute mile, which by no means fast at all, but we did so many daggum wind sprints. My graduation, uh, uh PT test, I was running freaking 12 twenties in six nice. weeks. So you do time a is- whole bunch of running. Nice. <laughs> it's, it's, I like how you said uh, of a high school kid you got to go to boot camp first I can imagine what that's like to be that kid who everyone in in his boot camp platoon finds out oh he's going to be a pilot <laughs> got yeah, you yeah. <laughs> got you in there, in yeah. there with a bunch of people who are just going to be grunts you know what I mean <laughs> oh yeah that's cool that's cool we, we, we got your number while we can <laughs> before we have to start saluting you and stuff <laughs> oh yeah it's funny hearing the stories of some of these guys though because some of these guys are they they don't realize 
what kind of culture the military is until they're actually in it. So when you graduate, uh, before you go to Warrant Officer Candidate School, once you are a considered a, a WOC, so Warrant Officer Candidate, you are, it, uh, for all intents and purposes, an E5. Your pay grade's E5. So a lot of these kids, I, I've heard of a, I've heard of a couple of them that would come out of uh, basic training and ask to get pinned on E5 at basic training. Can you imagine being their drill sergeant going, oh, hell no, I'm not giving you E5 right now. You can put that <laughs> yeah. crap on before you Look. get over there to Fort Rucker. <laughs> Look, I got, I got you. Oh, I'll pin it all right. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> you go through all kinds Holy of cow. fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you got you got to appreciate their uh, their forwardness though, and trying to get that done. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you, you got to respect the enthusiasm, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's when that's when the drill sergeant goes. Well, if you have nothing, you have the audacity. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got oh, balls, kid. You're stupid, but you got balls. Yeah. <laughs> and, balls, and, balls is, and balls is all that counts. <laughs> oh, Close enough. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. That's hysterical. Uh, oh, but, man. yeah, so you, you get done with one-off scanner at school, and uh, you pin your W-1 on, and uh, you next step is SEER school. So it's mm. class uh, SEER level C. Uh, one month long, everything entails with uh, C level C. Um, then you do your med and you start you start flying. You go through um, you go through primary and instruments and the uh, LUH right now flying uh, uh, Dakotas. Uh, after that, you do aircraft selection and you can um, right now coming out of flight school, you can either go fixed wing, Chinook, Blackhawk, or Apache, based on how well you do in your class uh, order merit based off of. Uh, Based off of your test scores, your PT scores, uh, leadership points, stuff like that, um, number one guy gets to pick his aircraft. They, they come in with the the attack officers come in with a list and go, okay, DOD needs eleven Apache pilots. We need uh, four Schnook pilots. We need five fixed wing pilots, and we need twelve Blackhawk pilots. Number one, what do you want? And they go down the list, and bottom of the class winds up with whatever's left over. In my class, uh, the last nine guys in class got Apaches. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting. I, I would, I would. Now, I sitting here listening. To that, I'm like, well, obviously, everybody's going to take the Apache. You know, the top guys. <laughs> That's interesting that the, that the bottom guys got 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 the Apaches. I, is it because it's not a fun flying aircraft, or is it? The Apache is a whole lot of fun to fly, but it's it's a lot. Uh, you're responsible for all the uh, the aeronautical knowledge. You're responsible for ballistics. You're responsible for uh, weapons employment. You're responsible for I think what what shakes everybody up is the bag. Uh, the bag is basically, uh, you know, everybody else flies night vision goggles. You know, you, you flip yeah. them down in the Apache, you fly off the the Pinvis, the pilot night vision system, which is on the nose of the aircraft. You got, okay. uh, yeah. So when you got the monocle over your right eyeball, um, your point of reference for flying in night flight is a forward looking infrared that is uh, three feet below you and ten feet in front of you. So hovering and all that fun stuff is very, very different. And it's only pumping into one eyeball. Um, oh, that would be, yeah. be very disorienting. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is because you got all the lights of the cockpit that your left eye sees and your right eye is seeing outside uh, under FLIR. Now, when you're doing the bag, the training uh, to, to be able to fly in that mode of flight, um, they've got black tarps that they fill the entire back seat up in. Uh, and then the instructor pilots up front in full daylight. So if you get into a situation, you can take control of the aircraft. Um, and you do an entire, uh, basically learn how to fly all over again. Even for me, when I went through the, uh, the Apache course, I had, uh, probably about 2,500 hours in uh, 58 D 
uh, all kinds of uh, all kinds of modes of flight, night vision goggles, everything. And learning how to fly the Apache was easy. Then they put me in the bag, and it was like learning how to hover all over again. So the bag like the bag likes to scare a lot of people. Um, so back in my day, of course, 1999. Uh, let's see, we did aircraft selection in October 2000. Uh, a lot of guys didn't want to fly the Apache, and it was the A model then. Um, they <laughs> funny little story, true story. Um, all through flight school, I wanted to be a 58D guy because a lot of my Cobra guys went over the 58D, and I just loved the cavalry tradition. It was uh, you know you're you're flying low, you're supporting the uh, supporting the ground guys, you're snooping, pooping, finding bad guys. You know that that was that was that that appealed to me. So all through flight school, I wanted to fly 58Ds. Um, selection day came, and uh, I, the, the 64 D's were just coming online then. And they were like, well, what do you want? Kirschbaum? I said, well, I, you know, if I pick Apaches, can you guarantee me a Delta slot? And they said, no, you got to go through the A model training. And if you get assigned to a, uh, a Delta model unit, you'll stay here for Delta differences. And I said, well, I guess I'll stick with 58 D's because I didn't want to fly the alpha model, um, <laughs> which may have played into the whole thing too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had a, I had a story for, um, as far as like the flight training goes is we did this as kind of like a, a morale booster. We took a bunch of guys to the flight simulator for both uh, Hueys and Cobras, the newer models, the, um, the Yankees and Zulus. We had a, we had a, I think a squad's worth of p uh, people to take in there. And every single time they sat into the, the Cobra models and went to go pull up, like just go from ground to the air, it will come up. And it'll it'll slide left and then just tur somehow turn upside down and crash itself. And then you would see the, <laughs> and it was one of those newer uh, flight sims where it was like a gyro ball. So you felt or it looked like uh, you were doing everything. So when it flips over, you can see them like turning their heads to their putting their ears to their shoulder, like no no no. <laughs> and then the screen will flash red and all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah, red screen of death. Uh, we did that with some uh, with some Southwest pilots that were uh, they, they came to. Uh, one of the RTAG conventions uh, that, that we had at Fort Rucker and we had a Blackhawk in a, at a uh, Apache simulator and put them in there and took up, let them have the controls up in flight. Hey, it flies like an airplane. Do a run on landing. It lands like an airplane. Now pick up to a hover. Left, <laughs> always to the left. Crash, crash. Yeah, is it, crash. that's weird. I've, no, I've noticed <laughs> that. Oh, it's always to the left. Like, why is it always to the left? Oh, you guys are, how do you guys always rotate, do Rotation of yeah. main rotors. Rotation oh, of the main rotor blade. The advancing blade on the right-hand side uh, creates more lift than the retreating blade on the left-hand side. Uh, no kidding. Uh, science, everybody. <laughs> it was just so funny watching it. It was like, just do a left-hand roll and then just somehow flip over. Like, how did you do that? <laughs> so, you had mentioned a flight simulator. Tim, how, how long would you guys, going through flight school, how many hours in the simulator would you spend before they would actually put you in the physical uh, aircraft itself? Zero. Really? Oh, yeah, you don't do any simulator time in, in flight school. Your very first day flying, they call it the nickel ride. You climb up front, your stick buddy climbs in back, and you take off from Karen's Army Airfield. And uh, on the way to the stage field, which is a bunch of uh, six little runways that everybody lands to uh, with Control Tower, which is training the air traffic controllers at Fort Rucker. Um, okay. Yeah, your very first time uh, with hands-on controls is in an actual aircraft uh, for, uh, for the Army. Can you imagine that hit, hit the ground running, friend? <laughs> I'm thinking about that right now. My anxiety is just climbing, thinking about it. <laughs> so, so imagine, imagine like if they if they can left hand turn and somehow flip over an aircraft in the simulator. Imagine that same person, no experience whatsoever, no sim, nothing. 
here's the seed, get in, go like, oh my God. <laughs> Maybe that's why I was deemed not smart enough to be able to go to flight school. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah, when I went through, we still had, uh, we still had Vietnam era pilots. Uh, a lot of those guys were still around. Of course, they were really, really old guys. They had friggin' ice in their veins. They were like, they would let you take that aircraft just as far as you could possibly go before they'd say, all right, my controls. And they'd jump on the controls. <laughs> and it, it was so frustrating because you would get that aircraft trying to hover. You would get that thing so out of whack. You just cannot get it back to the stationary. And they just grab the controls. And then within a half a second, it's perfectly stable. And you're just like, how in the hell are you doing that? <laughs> well, I bet, I bet those guys have some stories for days. So there's another podcast out there called the Jocko podcast and it's Jocko Willink and he was a Navy SEAL, but he's had yeah. a bunch of guys on there recently who were uh, helo pilots um, in Vietnam and just listen to those guys talk about their stories. And those were SOG missions and all that kind of stuff. And you, and you hear some of those stories that go on and it's just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Balls of steel, man. Like just <laughs> in, in a napalm firestorm getting shot, shot up, hanging 10 feet off the ground. Like you, have you ever listened to those? Or I'm sure your instructor pilots probably had stories like those. Like my God. Oh yeah. Yeah. They had all kinds of stories. Shoot. I had a pilot. Uh, one of my instructors was a, uh, he was a little bird, uh, an OH six pilot in, uh, in Vietnam. And he was, t- he'd tell a story about how he got shot down three times in one day. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, Jesus. Three yeah, times. I mean, I think what, what was enough, but three. <laughs> well, yeah. in the modern military, you know, I, I had an aircraft. The first time I brought an aircraft home full of bullet holes, they sat me. <laughs> like, ah, you're done. You're not going back out. <laughs> oh, so you, you, you were actually, you were actually, uh, shot up uh, once, once or twice. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I brought home, uh, I brought home a few aircraft with holes in them. It's just nature of uh, nature of the beast. Sure. I mean, uh, was was that Iraq, Afghanistan, both? Maybe both. Yeah, both. both. Wow. That's, wow. Now, did, did you know you would take? Because I, I, I've heard some pilots, you know, they didn't know they were, didn't know they had gotten shot till they landed and looked at the aircraft. Did you know you had taken fire? Yeah, the one the ones I got, yeah, you you can tell it sound like a uh, um sound like crushing a tin can, just a tink tink tink. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you just okay. don't know what Jesus. all was hit and check your gauges, make sure everything looks cool and uh keep on flying back to uh safe area till you put it down, jump out, look at it. Wow. Holy cow! So, uh, so Tim, you, you're you're a co-founder for the group uh, Artag or Rotary Airlines Group. Uh, mm-hmm. What was what was one of the inspirations for you and your other co-founders to actually come up with that? And then, uh, how'd you go about uh, getting it together? Yeah, it was kind of weird. Um, I, I I wound up in a group. Uh, I can't remember what we had before uh, Rebel Scum. Uh, which was an online Facebook group. Uh, we're just, there's a bunch of us that were, that were uh, thinking about going to the airlines. Uh, the airlines had opened up a rotary transition program where they would pay, um, you know, for instance, PSA would pay up to uh, $23,500 towards your required ratings to get your, uh, your airline transport pilot or your ATP. Um, that's all your fixed wing stuff. You need 250 hours uh, to qualify for your ATP. Then you take your ATP. Um, and then on top of that, once you completed training, they were giving you a first officer sign-on bonus. So I found out about right. this while I was overseas in Afghanistan. One of my uh, my fellow test pilot, we were sitting over at uh, a little place called uh, Fob Chapman uh, out in Coast Province. Uh, oh, yeah. I was coming yep. off the flight line. and Yeah, you know Coast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coast, Coast was, uh, was an interesting place. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, I came back in off the flight line. He was looking at uh, at a company called Envoy's RTP. And he's like, dude, have, have you seen this? And I said, no. And um, 
And so I looked at it and I came back, uh, you know, cause I was, uh, I knew I was retiring within a year. So I came back to the States after that deployment going, I'm, I'm going to do this airline thing. So I started looking around, I wound up in this group and, uh, it wound up being, uh, part of this group was wound up being infiltrated by a lot of high, high brass that uh, did not like the fact that a bunch of aviators were like, were thinking about getting out of the military and going over to, uh, the airlines because they were losing a lot of experience if, if everybody um, wound up leaving. So we wound up uh, creating a new group. Um, and it just, from that group, we just decided to uh, create a nonprofit. So this was uh, about August of 2007, 2000, yeah, 2017 that we had this group and December, 2017, Eric Sabiston, uh, the, the president and uh we just got together about six of us uh, that were in the group and uh, we all decided, Hey, you know, let, let's go ahead and make this happen. So I don't know how exactly uh, I wound up being uh, taken along with it, but I wound up becoming the, uh, the marketing guy. I created the, uh, the icons, the graphics, t-shirts, uh, stuff like that to get the word out. And uh, it just ballooned up from there. It started off just wanted to get information out to fellow aviators, um, army aviators, um, about the different, uh, just sharing information about the different rotary transition programs out there uh, to get to the airlines, what you need to do, our journey towards uh, um, towards making it to the airlines. And, you know, it was, it was kind of motivational. It was uh, informational. Uh, just And then people started following it. And people started following in our tracks. There's some people that wanted to sit back and kind of, uh, kind of see how it panned out for us. And some of them joined along in our journey. The, um, that test pilot buddy of mine, we both wound up at, uh, at PSA for, uh, um, for a while. He's still there. Uh, I just left, but, uh, after the nonprofit started taking off, um, we had our, uh, our first convention in Savannah in, uh, 2018. We expected about 150 people there. I think we had a couple, um, couple airlines. We had Piedmont PSA there, um, a couple flight schools that were there that, uh, that would, uh, that were already part 141 qualified for VA funding. Um, but we expect about 150 people there. We wind up with over 800 people at this first convention wow. and this Holy itty cow. bitty friggin, uh, if anybody's ever been to Savannah, you got the mighty eighth, uh, um, air museum over there for, uh, and this little convention center was just blown up. And, uh, at that point we knew we had something uh, pretty serious. Um, eventually, we branched out and started wanting to get the crew chiefs on board because the airlines were asking us, Hey, who, who do you know who are qualified mechanics that, that can get their AMP branched off to that, get the word out. Um, airlines started paying for, uh, for, um, maintenance guys, AMPs and bringing them on to work for a, in, in exchange for a two year contract. Um, got a couple people in on that. And then it just, it just continued to branch out uh, to the conglomerate that we are today. Uh, we, well, we were supposed to hold a convention last year. Obviously, COVID uh, struck that. But, um, you know, we're, we're trying to pull these conventions together. Our last convention, we had Southwest representing Frontier, um, a whole bunch of, uh, I, think we, I think we had 65 vendors and uh, 1,200 attendees. Um, wow. We've got corporate sponsors giving away, uh, like Bose gives away headsets at our conventions. We, we were, were able to raffle those off. Wow. Scholarships, uh, we we're giving away... Um, we take donations for uh, scholarship programs, uh, the Chris Bedzis Memorial Scholarship, the Enlisted Airline Scholarship, uh, where we take an enlisted guy with absolutely zero time. He, uh, he goes to, a, um, right now, Trident is our partner. They'll go to Trident. Um, Trident takes them all the way from their 
day one flying all the way through the commercial uh, uh, license, all the way through flight instructor. And then they work as a flight instructor for Trident uh, until they have their required 1500 hours where they can apply for their ATP uh, to make it to the airlines. Just phenomenal uh, programs out there. So wow. that's where we're at today with, uh, with our tech. That's impressive. That's, that's, a, that's a really impressive thing you guys have done. I mean, because prior to you, I don't think there was really anybody get, gathering all that information, putting it together where people can understand it and then delivering it to the people, you know, in one, one tight little package where they, all the information is right there in front of them. There was right? one back in the early 90s called AppTap. Um, and they, they handed the reins over to us. All those guys that originally founded AppTap were Army aviators, uh, and they're all legacy captains now, flying for United and American and, uh, and Delta. So they, uh, we, uh, we have a room set up for uh, AppTap guys when they come to the convention where they can meet up and, and do all their stuff. But they, of course, back in the early 90s, there's you know, just a bulletin board system, um, right. uh, maybe a forum. But uh, yeah, they, they, they never quite reached uh, as, as far reaching as, uh, as we are at the moment. Um, but yeah, that, prior to that, there was, um, there was nothing. Right. I can attest to that. Like even for mechanic side, when they say, Hey, how do I become a mechanic uh, in the civilian world? Like, well, you got to go to AMP school. Uh, you might be able to get your hours uh, signed off. So all you got to do is really just take the test. Um, you can sign up for this two week uh, prep and all this and that. But other than that, that was really it. Like it, uh, it is more or less figure it out, I guess. Yeah. yeah, for me, for, for me, for me, it was there. There was only one way to do it, and that was to go to A and P school, and then and then from there, um, there were some you know some some uh, different employers came to the school. Uh, you could fill out a resume, hand them into them then, and then if they liked you, they give you a call. But but there wasn't really anything other than that. There was no other options to hey go go work over here in this hangar for six months with a qualified technique, uh, A and P and then they can sign off on your hours. Like six was saying. And then, and then from there, all you got to do is just go take the test. You know, it was no, you got to spend tens of thousands of dollars getting your licenses and then move on from there. Right. And that was the same way with pilots. Cause, uh, it's uh, some areas like in California, for instance, they'll have like these, uh, private pilot classes, you spend four to a thousand bucks, depending on what it is. You get your private pilot's license. And then if you want to, you can try to go for the CFI, CFI uh, instructor courses and then possibly get a commercial pilot's license after you done spent like thousands upon thousands of dollars, like what MVP said. But right. uh, what you're what you're saying with these programs, like, oh, we'll take you from day one, zero knowledge, all the way to the point where you're hired. Like, wow. I mean, I'm right. mind blown just by hearing all that. And we saw we saw that uh, discontinuity, uh, discontinuity in the maintenance field as well. Uh, with my maintenance background, I I've never gone to get my AMP, but I've got three and a half years of uh, of uh, um, maintenance experience in a in an MOS that the FAA identifies as qualifying for the airframe and power plant. So I could technically go get it, but there was no uh, there was no. Uh, um, one-stop shop to figure out how to do this. Now we've got schools on board, like middle, uh, middle Georgia, uh, down in Macon, they've got a, they've got an entire maintenance program, but you can go there with VA funding, do your, uh, do your test and you're done for your A&P. Wow. I think the school that I went to in Pittsburgh, which was Pittsburgh Institute of Aeronautics, I think, cause I went there with some, some, uh, Hilo guys that were in the Marines and stuff, but 
I know they paid for the, for the school with the VA, but I don't think there was like any programs like what you're saying, where you can go there and just kind of take the test, use the experience. Cause they already, most of those guys had minimum four years of aviation experience in the military, but they still had to go through the two years of school right. to get, to get the thing. It wasn't just, Hey, go here, take your test and move on. Like they still make, right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now there's, I, I believe there's a little bit of schooling involved. You still got to, you know, obviously military folks don't have a whole lot of, a uh, whole lot of uh, um, experience with prop and rotor shop, or they don't have experience with uh, recip engines or, you know, helicopter guys don't have a whole lot of experience with retractable landing gear, stuff like that. So there's a little bit of a, of, of learning process uh, then before they can take the practical. There is, but what I mostly tell people too, is that it's some of those specialties where there's a little bit of schooling. Those are kind of few and far between depending on what side of the industry you're going into. You know what I mean? And most of that you're going to get further on. Like when you get hired on, they're going to send you out to another formal training for that specific system itself. So I guess it's just more of a refresher. You know, I guess it's a, a baseline knowledge, right? in the school, right. you're getting a baseline knowledge, but you're going to get way more in depth training once you, once you get out there into the workforce. Right. Right. So, so uh, Tim, uh, where can one find, uh, uh, info or, or how to apply to these programs for our tag? Our biggest, uh, our biggest, uh, um, distribution of information happens on, uh, on Facebook under, uh, the R tag nation, R T A G nation. It's a, um, Member only, you got to uh, you got to ask to come in, and there's uh, three questions that we ask just to make sure you're a legitimate person and not somebody. Uh, it seems daily we get folks from uh, overseas. I can't speak English. Uh, that, sure. <laughs> that have that, you know we're not going to be able to help you guys. I'm sorry. Please, please stop trying to apply to our tech nation. And we've experienced that even via the podcast. We get reached out from people. <laughs> hey, I, you know, I I want to apply to something like this. I'm like, hey, we we. <laughs> You know, we don't hire for those things. We're we're merely a podcast disseminating information. It's you got to do the research. You know, exactly. Right? Yeah, my my favorite's when they answer the three questions. We get a okay, okay. I will seriously abide. I'm like, you didn't answer any questions, but cool. <laughs> but um, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so you can get on our tag nation. Uh, our tag, the veterans charity, is our uh, is our home front page, which just kind of it's broad strokes, just distributing information. Uh, that's where most of the uh, most of the industry finds us first. Uh, the Artag Nation is where you can go ask questions. Uh, we've got a myriad of uh, of uh, information in there uh, in the search bar. We got people from all different backgrounds. We got enlisted guys who got out and did uh, got to aviation the hard way. Um, shoot, I'm in class right now with uh, with the guy who was uh, um, infantry. Uh, worked with Seventh Group, who wound up going and flying puddle jumpers and checks and all that fun stuff and. Uh, working for Endeavor for the last 10 years. And now he's here getting ready to go fly cargo. Um, but you can go on our tag nation. You can uh, put a search in the query bar or you can just ask a question. Um, I'd suggest searching it first because a lot of times the question's already been answered. Uh, but you can ask a question and uh, anybody with experience will jump in there. Uh, offshoot of our tag nation, we've got a, uh, um, um, uh, what's the word I was looking for? We've got mentorship programs, guys that have been there, done that. That'll help walk you through stuff. If you, uh, if you come up with a question and they, uh, they can help you along with it. Our website is, uh, rtag.org, which is our, uh, our own little website. And it's mostly the, uh, dissemination of information. It's our shop front for our, uh, our t-shirts, like our truck master t-shirt, you know, stuff like that. If you guys ever watch Top Gun, they getting ready to get kicked out. What was the name of that driving school? 
uh, that we passed back there. Truckmasters was it? Yeah. So, um, but we, um, that's the best place to, uh, to find us. Uh, mostly Facebook. That's where we started and that's where we have most of our traffic. Awesome. Uh, Tim, you did mention something about conventions. Uh, I know we're kind of in the, the beginning phases of 2021, but are there any conventions that you guys scheduled uh, this year? Uh, we're, we're being very hopeful right now. Uh, March, we were, uh, we're looking at a, a job fair, not, not quite a full-blown convention, but a job fair and informational uh, venue at uh, Fort Hood. Um, Okay. Right now we're planning on the uh, Queen Civic Center. Um, we're hoping that still goes off. We're still kind of monitoring uh, COVID protocols for uh, the Fort Hood area, clean area right now. Uh, our big one, we're looking uh, in October. It's going to be in San Diego. We don't have a specific date yet. We've got a, we've got a block of time already sectioned off. But again, we're, we're checking uh, COVID protocols. And this one is going to be huge. It'll be the last uh, hiring event for uh, uh, 2021. Uh, we're going to have major airlines there. We're going to have cargo companies there. We're going to have flight schools. We're going to have colleges, um, all different ways of trying to figure out how to, uh, how to walk this uh, program, how to fund this program, how to, uh, how to get to where you want to go. It's a choose your own adventure. It all depends on which direction you want to go and, uh, you can get here. You, you hear that everybody, Fort Hood and San Diego. <laughs> 2021, March and October. True that. Tim, if there's any way we can uh, help get the information out there for you guys as well, I mean, we're, we're glad. Well, I guess speaking for myself, and I'm pretty sure Six and Shoreline are on board too. I mean, any way we can help get the information out there to people, uh, we'd, we'd love to help. Absolutely. We'll definitely tap into you. Uh, once we have once we have concrete uh, dates and times and all that fun stuff, we will definitely reach back and uh, get with you guys and uh, figure out how we can get this information out to everybody. So we can have a good turnout. Um, and we can get more veterans in seats or behind toolboxes or in dispatch centers or schedulers with flight attendants. We, we even have air, uh, airlines asking us if we have a source of flight attendants. Yeah, you want if that's what you want, come to the convention and we can make it happen. So if we get that information out and you guys can help us get it out, we'll, we'll gladly, uh, uh, gladly ask. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I, I can't wait to help out. That is really cool. I mean... I would like to set up a booth too at that convention, if possible, if and if and when that uh that actually happens. That would be cool. Maybe maybe do like a live recording with the whole RTAG group while we're there. You know, block off a section of time and just sit down with everybody while the convention's happening and, and just kind of talk about it a little bit. You know, that would be way cool. That would be very cool. I'm sure. Uh, I know Josh and Eric uh, would love to have it. Jim's kind of our our silent giant. He doesn't talk a whole lot, but he's the uh, he's the fourth director. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, we would, that would be awesome. Uh, San Diego is going to be a two day event. So we will definitely, uh, carve out some time to do that. You hear that guys? We're, we're packing for, for three days. Okay. <laughs> 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 we, we ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, clo- closing thoughts for anything, MVP. Uh, Tim, appreciate you coming on. Uh, fantastic. What you guys are doing for the aviation community. Uh, getting all the information out to people and help them uh, get their careers jump further than they already are or just get started. Um, really appreciate that because, we, as we all know, the aviation industry is kind of uh, – it's big but small at the same time. You know what I mean? Um, oh, absolutely. And, and not a lot of information is shared about it, but there's uh, groups like you and us, and we just try to make it as easy as possible uh, for those who are interested and want to get into it. So appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is a, this is a good time. Hey, any final thoughts for everyone out there, Tim? 
you know, if you uh, if you want to do aviation in the uh, on the civilian market, shoot, we even got contract market too. We're, we're tapping into that. So if you want to do aviation outside the military and you're looking for a way to get there, by all means, look us up. Artag Nation, Artag.org, or just Artag the Veterans Charity. Come find us. We're, uh, we're more than happy to help. I can just say this, um, just, just that kind of effort and information and programs that our tag and their members are putting out there. I wish I heard about all this when it happened because yep. there, there are those out there who I can imagine are going through the biggest of struggles, trying to just get their foot through the door, all kinds of struggles. And then now we're having a way where we can lessen or if not eliminate it altogether and just kind of let the legwork kind of work itself through instead uh, other than what you're what you're doing now like ice skating up a hill well and speaking from my own personal experience i thought again there was only one way to get through it right um okay i gotta go to a&p school i I gotta get my license okay now i gotta find a job okay now there's only you know and there was only available to me what what came what companies came to the school okay well out of those i got uh, offers from these two, and now I got to choose the best one out of that. Whereas now, through our tag, you can say, My, "Man, there's like 15 different routes I can go." You know, what am, what am I really interested in? I really, really like this one specific aspect of aviation, and I want want to do that. Well, our tags outlined that path of progression. Right, and right. on top of that, we're we're trying to make it even easier. We uh, one thing that I that I wanted to bring up uh, that we didn't quite get to. Uh, one of the programs we just started, we call it RIPTOA. Everybody who's gone overseas knows that uh, relief in place. Um, uh, I forgot what TOA stands for. Anyway, RIPTOA when you get changed out with your uh, with your new uh, with your new unit, we've uh, we've created a program and we've got uh, we've got flight schools that fall under the umbrella of RIPTOA. We call it Remote Instruction Program Takeoff Academy. Uh, we've got Prey Aviation out of uh, Wichita, Kansas. We've got Trident that's out of Maryland and uh, Ozark, Alabama. And we got Flycore Aviation that will, if you've got four people at your base that are getting out soon and you want to learn how to fly fixed wing, you want to transition into the fixed wing, four people is all it takes. They will send a flight instructor and an airplane to your location to train you. Wow. Really? That's wow. Yeah. So, so now deployment's not an excuse. You hear that, everyone? If you have exactly. the wheel, there is now a way. There's a way. That that is that's pretty cool. Now I, yeah, I, assume, yeah. I assume those deployments are limited on location as to where they're going to come. Yeah, so we're uh, we're kind of picking out uh, these different uh, all these different uh, uh, flight schools are geographically located where uh, you can select where you want to live or where you want to work, and they'll come to you. So right now we got the eastern eastern half covered between uh, Trident and Flycore. Uh, we got central United States covered by uh, Prey Aviation, and we're working on uh, getting other uh, uh, other flight schools uh, on board so we can cover the uh, western seaboard. Um, so we're trying to get everybody uh, everybody that wants to come in here. You got no excuses anymore. Just look really? us up no and uh, find a way to get uh, make it happen. In addition to that, all the different programs out there, and you you can find all these on our tag nation. I know we're going long on time. Find these on our tag nation. Different ways to uh, different ways to pay for this. Apply for a Chris Beds a scholarship or apply for a E2A scholarship uh, when they come around. We'll announce those in November. Uh, the winners of those, I think July is when we open up the window for applications. There's no excuse. If, if this is what you truly want, it, it's, it's hardly a fight anymore. Come on out and do it. And, and it's, and just to, it's not just for veterans, right? It's, it's, it can be for anybody. 
both somebody yeah, who's never the, served and that's primarily service oriented, I understand, but just primarily just service oriented. Yeah. Primarily service oriented. Uh, there are some programs out there for uh, civilians. Um, of the, obviously our, our main viewpoint is helping the veterans, uh, but there, yep. there's some out there for civilians. We haven't, uh, we haven't gotten a whole lot of civilians into uh, our stagnation to quite chart the course for us, but we're working on that. Well, I, I, as somebody who was uh, only a military contractor and been civilian aviation his whole career, if I can help out in any way, uh, let me know. I'd love to, I'd love to be assist, of assistance. I would love to hear some of your ideas. <laughs> All right. We'd like to thank our patrons for helping bring Tim onto the show and have this show keep running, keep Shoreline happy to help us make the show. Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Stephanie Boltman, Jenny Dignan, Ryan Frushauer, Daniel Schubert, and Stephen Shivers. Thank you all so much for your patronage and helping us make this show. Uh, please visit some of our sponsors like Rockwell Time. They make uh, some outdoorsy uh, apparel such as uh, safety rated sunglasses, snowboard goggles, watches, you name it. Uh, use the code CX4MX, save 20% off your purchase. Again, visit RTAG Nation, both on Facebook and RTAG.org for more info on these programs that Tim just mentioned. Uh, Tim, thank you again so much for having a, for coming on to the show. We love the information you gave to us. And we hope to see you guys on one of the conventions this year. We're looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tim.